Good morning. We're starting our downhill run on our message series, Hope in a Hard World. We're working our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And if you remember the background, Peter is writing to Christians who were in first century Turkey in a culture that is hostile to their faith in Jesus. They've escaped sort of the severe persecution from the Roman emperor Nero, but they're not 100% safe. Uh, you might compare it to the situation of Christians in, in modern-day Egypt. There's tension, there's sporadic outbreaks of violence, some beatings in the street perhaps, false arrests, and the police either look the other way or they join right in. So the Christians are on edge. They're trying to live out their faith in a tough place. Now, the main difference with the modern situation is that back in the first century, most of these Christians came from that culture that's now hostile to them. They were converted to Christ out of that culture. It was their friends, their neighbors, their family, their jobs. That was the society they grew up in, and they turned from that because they had this new experience of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He'd become real in their hearts. And so Peter continues his counsel on how they can live together as a church body, a Christian counterculture, with integrity, with moral clarity, and most of all, with love. So let's hear from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not, jo- you do not join with them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who, who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore, be alert and sober of mind, so that you may pray, and above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins." Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God for this, his holy word. You know, I think there is this constant struggle for people to live by their priorities rather than by their pressures. To be able to focus on what is really important rather than to be consumed by these countless, seemingly urgent things that incessantly demand our attention. All the little unimportant things get in the way of the big things that really matter. That's, you know, the errands, the emails, the the busyness. That's why I can feel like we're never really getting anything done. We get distracted, we get consumed by the immediate, and we just can't focus. There's a saying in Africa that on safari, it isn't the elephants that bother you, it's the mosquitoes. 
Have you ever felt like that? A thousand minuscule things just kind of buzzing in your ear all the time. And the more you swat at them, the more they seem to multiply. I struggle with this. And, and I hear about it from people all the time. There's so much to do. There's never enough time. I'm pressured and hassled all day long, every day, seven days a week. And as a consequence, uh, in this distracted life, people feel frustrated. They feel anxious. They feel joyless. Life goes sour, relationships can go flat, and energy just disappears. It can feel like you're trying to, to kind of go up the down escalator. Have you ever tried to do that? I tried it once while I was Christmas shopping with my wife, Donna. We were out at a shopping mall, and we decided to cover our Christmas list twice as fast, so we divided it in half. She was going to go her way, I was going to go my way, and we were going to meet as a de- at a designated spot later on. Well, the time came. And the spot was at an escalator. Donna was at the top of the escalator, and I was at the bottom. But I was on the downside of the escalator. It was one of those stores where if you wanted to go up, you had to walk around the other side of the store to go up. And I decided I didn't want to do that. I could just sprint up the down escalator, no problem, right? Well, the thing was, I was carrying an armload of packages. And so, uh, you know, I couldn't really see my feet. And on an escalator, those steps aren't the same height as normal steps, And I couldn't see my feet, so I sprinted up, uh, got about halfway up, and then I just fell face first right on top of all my packages. And it happened so fast, there was really nothing I could do. The escalator just kind of shot me out the bottom like a Pez dispenser. And of course, when I looked up, Donna had disappeared because she didn't want to be associated with this buffoon at the bottom of the escalator. Priorities. When we don't live by our priorities, we can't see where we're going. And even more than that, people often don't even know what their priorities are supposed to be. They're not clear on what is most important in life. And that's how life gets lopsided and off-center. Charles Hummel called this feeling the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. The important things in life get pushed aside as we cave into the demands of the moment. Life fills up very easily and we just get swept along with the current of daily activities. We say we don't want to live this way. It's exhausting, but we keep living that way. Henry Nouwen writes in his book, Making All Things New, that one of the characteristics of modern society is that everyone is busy. Everyone's life is, is sort of like an overstuffed suitcase, bursting at the seams. And there's this nagging sense that we're still not doing enough that there are all these projects to finish and promises to keep and always something else that we should be doing. Being busy is, is sort of a status symbol. People expect you to be busy. People have said to me just the last couple of weeks, you know, this must be a really busy time for you this time of the year. And they mean that as a compliment. It's a general assumption that it's a good thing to always be busy, and they're a little surprised when I say, well, not really. My schedule actually frees up a lot in December because everybody else is so busy, they they cancel most of the meetings that I'm supposed to have. The downside of all our busyness, though, is that even though we're busy, often we're bored. Bored because inside we wonder if all these things that we are so busy doing really matter very much at all. All these useless things, all these useless gadgets that occupy our lives, Our lives are filled, yet unfulfilled. Like the story of Jesus with the sisters Mary and Martha, we're the ones to whom he would say, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. 
or indeed only one thing. That's Luke chapter 10. Only one thing. Jesus was a, was a great simplifier. The spiritual life in Christ is all about living by our priorities and not by our pressures. And that's what Peter is getting at in today's passage. There are a, there's a lot of great stuff in these 11 verses. I can just have time to zero in on verse 8. Peter writes, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, as your number one priority, as the first thing on your to-do list as followers of Jesus who are living in a tough and tension-filled world where Christians are treated as second-class citizens, as a nuisance, or maybe as something an inferior. If you want to thrive in that kind of environment, here's the most important thing that you can do. Love each other deeply. What impresses me about this guidance from Peter is how much these words really describe his own spiritual journey. Remember, Peter was this, was this rough-cut, sort of steel-jawed fisherman, the loud-mouthed, outspoken one who, who never had any filters on sharing his opinions about anything. Peter wasn't really a team player. Uh, he was the one who knew the answer before you even asked the question. He was the one who even talked back to Jesus and tried to set Jesus straight. Like in Mark 8 where he told Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human things. Probably the most severe rebuke Jesus gave anybody, he gave to Peter. Peter, the one who then verbally denied even knowing Jesus during his trial and crucifixion. And then who went away weeping over his own personal failures. It's this same Peter who was then gently restored by Jesus in their post-resurrection conversation on the beach in John chapter 21. Remember, three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? We see Peter's rough exterior sort of shaped and smoothed by, by the grace of God in that moment. Peter's encounter with Jesus on the beach is the story that concludes the whole gospel of John. That's how important it is. Because in a sense, it's a summary of what God wants to do in every person's life through a relationship of faith in Jesus. Our jagged lives get get shaped and smoothed by God's grace. So now, some 30 years later, we have this, this rough and tumble troublemaker transformed into an apostle, a a tender-hearted and insightful leader of the early church, and he knows what it takes for these believers to survive, and even more than that, to thrive in their inhospitable environment. Above all, he says, this is number one. This is your top priority. This is at the top of your to-do list. Above all, love one another deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is just echoing what he said before, what he's been writing about through this whole letter, the importance of relationships in the body of Christ as the antidote to the hopelessness of the world. It's this unity of believers that best bears witness to Christ in a fractured world. It's the Christ-centered community of faith that best reaches out to the isolated and lonely people of this planet. And he's echoing Jesus' great commandment from John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples 
if you love one another. It's the quality of the community that is most important if Christians hope to really experience the hope of Christ that he has for them. You see, one problem that we have in reading the Bible in English is our pronouns. Our pronouns. All through this book, Peter has been saying, you and your and yours, you greatly rejoice over your hope in Christ, your inheritance in heaven, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, you are chosen by God, and on and on. And we tend to read all those pronouns in the singular, as though Peter is addressing us individually about our faith in Christ. It's me and Jesus. And so we intend to interpret these commands and promises and encouragements as though they're addressed to us individually. That kind of fits our American sense of independence and our belief in kind of this personal, individual relationship with Christ. But Peter is actually writing in the plural. He is writing to the whole church, to all the followers of Jesus in that region. region. And so when we read you, we should be mentally reading all of you. When we read your, we should imagine the whole church is, is leaning in and listening, sort of like a football team at halftime listening to the pep talk from the coach. You know, Vince Lombardi, the legendary football coach of the Green Bay Packers, was once asked what it takes to make a winning team. And Lombardi said there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and, and have plenty of discipline but still don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has got to be thinking about the next guy. You've got to do your job well in order so that the other guy can do his job. This is the difference between mediocrity and greatness. It's the feeling these guys have for each other. Does that seem odd for you to you that a rough, uh, kind of no-nonsense football coach like Vince Lombardi would be talking about feelings, about football players loving each other? Well, really no odder than the Apostle Peter doing the same thing. God's truth about relationships filters down even to football teams. What's most important in life is our relationships, with God certainly, but with each other in the body of Christ, most definitely. Peter is writing to all the believers in relationship with each other as the church. And the hope that he is writing about is a hope that is experienced as a group, not just individually. As a group, they learn to express to each other the kind of love that they have experienced from God. Well, there's no question that everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to know how to love others. But it's not enough just to talk about it. Love has to be shown It has to be activated in the church. Love can just be some abstract idea. Love, no, it has to be acted out. Love has to be more than just something that you hope people feel. It's something that gets demonstrated. And for some of us, showing love is is not that much of a problem. It comes easily or naturally because of our temperament, because of how we were raised. Others of us have a much more difficult time showing love or simply just don't feel as comfortable with our emotions or maybe have never really learned how to show love. But whether it comes naturally or not, we all need to grow in this area because that's what the body of Christ is all about. And Thankfully, Jesus told us how to get started in demonstrating love for each other. Something pretty simple. Luke 6, 31, Jesus said, Do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. Or more simply, treat people the way you want to be treated. It's what's been called the golden rule because it's so valuable in building healthy relationships. It's like gold. We want people to treat us with respect and love. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus says the first step is to treat them that way. Treat others like you want to be treated. You want people to listen to you, to help you when you need it, to forgive you when you blow it. You want understanding. You want second chances. Jesus says start doing that for others first. Start listening when they talk. Start helping. Start serving. Take the initiative. Start forgiving. That's the golden rule. That's the first base in in building healthy relationships. It's pretty simple. But for the true Christian community, you have to add on to that what some people call the platinum rule. Something a little higher, which is love others as Christ loves you. Love others as Christ loves you. That's the second part of what Jesus says. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The golden rule says treat others the way you want to be treated. That's sort of a selfish thing. The platinum rule is a step up because it means treat others the way Jesus treated us, and that was sacrificially. Sacrificially. He served us. All you have to do in any situation for the platinum rule is to ask yourself, how does Christ treat me? That's what I need to do. That's how I need to treat others. How does Christ show love for me. That's how I need to show love for others. But that means you have to have experienced the love of Christ first for yourself. You have to be able to recognize how Jesus has loved you because you cannot give away what you do not possess. If you don't live with a sense of God's grace over your life, how can you treat other people with grace? If you don't sense deeply your own value in God's eyes, how can you then treat other people as valuable? This love of Christ, it has to happen to you before it can happen through you. If you don't know the unconditional, sacrificial love of Christ, how can you possibly love others unconditionally? How can you love sacrificially? If you're going to love others the way Christ loves you, then you have to be in touch with the depth of his love for you because you can't love people like that on your own. You can't do it. It can only happen as Christ loves through you. We are incapable of loving others in our own strength like that. But when we know our value, our acceptance, our forgiveness in Christ, then we can begin to love others with God's love. When it happens to you, then it can happen through you. And that's the only way. And that's why the Christian faith isn't just an ethical system of of doing good or do's and don'ts. It's not some ethical uh, way of, of personal conduct. It is a life lived with others through the power of the indwelling spirit of the risen Christ in you. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of sins. Peter's not talking about us replacing Christ as Savior or that we're the one who wipes somebody else's sins away. He means this in a very, very practical sense. He means that the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. 
These were very, very imperfect people who had a lot of baggage. Look at what, how he describes their former lifestyle and their former friends earlier in the passage. He says, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's quite a list. I mean, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll back then. They had a lot of issues, moral failings, addictions, ungodly habits, damaged personalities, and on and on. They were not a prim and proper group. And they still had ties to that old way of life through their friends and through their family. People were constantly trying to pull them back, drag them down, get them to compromise their faith, go backwards rather than forwards with Christ. And what they needed most on a practical level was this counter-community from the people of Christ who would serve each other, support each other, value each other, love each other through doing real things, through, he mentions, hospitality, opening their homes. Some people got kicked out into the street when they became Christians. Other people just needed a new kind of family to model themselves after. They had to open their homes. They had to open their checkbooks through using their gifts, their talents, their time, their treasure to serve each other in the strength that Christ supplied. They needed each other. And that's just as true for us today. We need each other. We need each other's hospitality. We need each other's financial giving. I mean, the church can't operate without serious financial stewardship. We need each other's serving. And there are lots of ways that we serve each other, from caring ministries to children to set-up team for the new community or the tech team that coordinates all our services to Hurricane Sandy work days to being an usher from leading small groups for teens or adults or going on a mission trip. All these things and many more that aren't advertised or even acknowledged. All the hundreds of ways people express their love for Christ in in unscripted and spontaneous, unplanned acts of compassion and, and just simple help. No one can do everything, but everyone should be doing something. Do you know your place of service? Do you know how you are practically demonstrating the love that God has poured into your heart, into the hearts of other people? Do you know where you're serving? Because there are plenty of places for you to get involved. Or are you just on the receiving end of somebody else's ministry? Maybe it's time to get in the game and to find out how you can actually love each other by serving in the church. That's how the body of Christ makes this whole thing real. We serve each other. Find your place to serve. Peter says, love one another deeply with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this body, this community, where we can find the encouragement that we need, where we can find people who support our values, support our, our vision for our lives, support our relationship with you, even though we know none of us is perfect and we all fail. We all come as damaged goods, Lord, and we need that safe place to start again and to know that there are going to be people who will stand with us through thick and thin. Lord, thank you for this community. But I do pray, Lord, for the many people who don't know their place of service. 
may they really be disturbed by that and find their place within the body to serve one another and so fulfill this vision of a community that really cares. We thank you now. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.